When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name's Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kev, what's good, my guy? What's popping? Uh, you know, just a normal Wednesday. We're recording a day early. Thankfully, my partner was off. Um, it is my girlfriend and I's four-year anniversary, so shout out to my baby. Um, four years down, you know, forever to go. I know normally she doesn't like the shout outs on the podcast because... She thinks it's weird, but, you know, today is a big occasion. You know, four years down the road, it's just kind of crazy that life's going by that quickly. You know, we got a whole-ass dog together, but she don't live here yet, so I'm putting you on the spot. It's going to get there. We're going to be there, but, you know, we're recording early, so we got some plans this weekend. We, You know, I took the rest of the weekend off. Got to get some stuff done, but, again, happy that you're off today, and we're flexible enough to get this done a day early. Oh, yeah, for sure, and, I mean, obviously, I, I got to throw out a little bit of congratulations to my guy and his girl being able to make four years. It's off to a good start and hopefully it leads to a little bit more than just, you know, four years. So Hell yeah. Shit. Churchill and I Churchill and I share the same anniversary. I know. It's kinda it's hilarious. Yeah. Like and, <laughs> Yeah, and he and Amber, they just tied the knot what like two couple months, months ago. ago? Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy how time flies, bro. So four years. Ryan, I'm trying man. to be like you when I grow up, bro. I tell you what, though, that would be you. That would be you and her potentially in that position, you know. Hopefully it works out that way sooner rather than later. Shit, but, I, um, I, I, I ain't dating her to hang out. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, like I know we're recording a day early, but Kev, I know we got a lot to talk about because we got an action-packed week 15. We also have some OBJ news as well. So ready to dive into these topics? Oh, but of course, we've got a packed agenda for you guys, and with us recording a day early, we actually get to cover the full premise of the Thursday night game before it even happens, so that's exactly where we're going to start off today. First step is going to be the 49ers and Seahawks, the battle for the NFC West. Obviously, San Fran is 9-4, and four, Seattle is 7-6. and six. At one point, we thought Seattle was going to run away with the division. Now it's looking like San Francisco is about to do the complete opposite and take the division away from them. So we'll see how that game goes on. I mean, if the Seahawks want to win this title, this division title, should I say, they have to win this game. This is absolutely must win for them. And if San Fran wants to remain high and tight on the NFC West, I almost literally forgot the division. This is a must win game for them. So this is absolutely must see television. Going into the next game, another division game, which is going to be huge. Dolphins, Bills rematch. Last time these two teams faced off. It's like 100 degrees in Miami. Now it's going to be the complete opposite in Buffalo. Freezing cold temperatures in December. And, of course, at the end of the day, now Buffalo is leading the division. So we will see how that transpires as well. Then you go into the next game, which is going to be the surging Lions against the faltering Jets. Mike White survived multiple what I would consider assaults in today's NFL and is probably expected to play with the bruised or cracked or fractured or whatever ribs he injury he has. I mean, the man took what, if for those of you that watch wrestling, he took two Goldberg spears 
right to the rib midsection in that game and came back and played multiple times. So we'll see upon his availability. And then, of course, Jared Goff is playing some exceptional football over the course of the last five, six weeks. So we will see how they combat that New York Jets defense. Moving on into the next game, which is going to be not necessarily a big game, depending on what fan you are here, but we have the surging Bengals going up against the struggling Buccaneers. The Bucs got embarrassed last week against the 49ers, losing 35-7. to And the Bengals beat Cleveland last week in a division matchup, improving their record to 9-4. and So then, of course, Cincinnati's trying to, once again, take control of the AFC North. But Baltimore won last week, so they are also of the same record. And Baltimore t- has the tiebreaker, who beat Cincinnati a couple months back. So the Bengals need to win to try to collapse, or should I say, um, collect that division title. And then the Buccaneers, they're still winning their division as well, so we will see how that transpires in the NFC South. But uh, for them, this is the must-win game because they have to, at some point, take control of winning that division if they somehow do because Carolina is right on their heels as well. So we'll kind of see how that transpires as the rest of the season goes. And then the infamous tie game. The Commanders and the Giants face off again, this time in Washington. We will see how that goes. Obviously, both teams are 7-5-1. and one. So, I mean, at, at this point, it's just a matter of who's going to give and who's going to win to take at least a wild card spot in the NFC. We know that the NFC East is probably going to go to either the Cowboys or the Eagles. So the Giants and Commanders are strictly competing for a spot in the playoff. At least they, I hope that they are because at this point, if they're not, I don't know what it is that they're doing. But uh, the Taylor Heineke is looking to bounce back after the bye week. And, of course, the Giants are looking to rebound after that embarrassing blowout against Philly. So we have plenty of games to cover. And then we're going to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. So Odell Beckham was rumored to be ready and cleared by the December timeline in terms of he was medically cleared by the end of November. But he was looking to sign for somewhat in December to play the final four to five weeks of the season. Then he was on the shop Uh, I want to say last week, and he had stated that he didn't want to play in the regular season. He only wanted to play in the the postseason. And then when he had his meeting with the Cowboys, Jerry Jones revealed that they feared that he wasn't going to be ready until sometime in January, which means that he wasn't going to be able to play in the regular season anyway. So it's looking like Odell Beckham's camp is, uh, their word is looking to be a little bit inconsistent, to say the least. So I'm just trying to... figure out what's going on here. Kyle and I have some opinions because obviously the, the, the Cowboys end up signing T.Y. Hilton. And then, of course, at the end of the day, the Bills, who were also interested, end up bringing Cole Beasley out of retirement. So it's like, was it because of the injury report? Was it because of what he said on the shop? Either way, Odell Beckham Jr. seems to be in question in terms of his character and you know some of the things he's been saying. Nevertheless, we got a jam-packed agenda for you guys. So let's just dive right into it. Kyle, uh, man, this 49ers-Seahawks game is about to be crazy. Yeah, because this is essentially going to dictate who's going to pretty much take control of the NFC West at this point. And just to give you guys a quick recap of where both teams stand right now, you've got the 49ers who are coming off a phenomenal win at home, destroying the Bucks, winning by the score of 35-7. to It was an absolute runaway of a game. Brock Purdy in his first NFL start. Kev, I don't think you could have had a better NFL start compared to what he just had. I believe he only had five incompletions in that game. And also Christian McCaffrey got involved as well. He Just overall, the 49ers just handily defeated the Bucks in every way, shape, and form. And then when you kick it over to the Seahawks, the Seahawks are faltering a little bit. They've lost three out of their last four games. Uh, they've had some tough losses at home recently. Uh, they had an overtime loss to the Raiders a couple weeks back. And then they lost to the Panthers at home this past week. 
and they're looking to bounce back and try to get some sort of groove uh, to get on the win column and potentially try to make a fight for this NFC West divisional title. But I'm just going to be bluntly honest here. I will say that Seattle's got an uphill battle, and I would definitely say that the 49ers have the edge right now. But this game is going to take place on Thursday night. It's actually going to be a pretty compelling Thursday night game as far as I see it. And honestly, I just kind of hope it lives up to expectations that we have for it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, you've got the 49ers and the Seahawks duking it out on Thursday night. Who do you think is going to win and why? It, uh, to me, this isn't even a close decision. Seattle's had their opportunity to c- take control of this division on multiple occasions, and they just fell short multiple weeks, back-to-back games. I mean, however it is you want to analyze their situation, and San Francisco has taken the best or made the best of their situation. So you go and you look at it, 9-4, and 7-6, and six, record speaks for itself. But the 49ers have gone through something that the Seahawks are not, and that is a multitude of quarterback injuries. Trey Lance to start the season, Jimmy Garoppolo two, three weeks ago, and now Brock Purdy's sitting there, Mr. Irrelevant, third-string quarterback, and he's finding ways to score the football in ways that it looked like Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance weren't able to do at a consistent clip, is what I'm saying. Jimmy, again, I'm always going to be a Jimmy defender, but it just looks like the offense flows just a little bit better with Brock for whatever reason. And, you know, you look at the slate, San Francisco's on a six-game win streak. They beat the Rams, they beat the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Saints, the Dolphins, and the Buccaneers. And, you know, technically, if you were to look at it because of the way that the Chargers are sitting at this moment, the 49ers beat three playoff teams because the Chargers are looking in or in the bottom half of the bubble of the wild card, whichever you want to look at it. But the Dolphins were, of course, at the time, first place in the division or tied with Buffalo and Tampa's winning their division. I know that they're struggling, but again, the fact that they are still a division leader makes them a playoff team. So that's why I say what I say. That defense is just playing lights out in their last couple of games. Against the Bucks, they allowed seven points. Against the Dolphins, 17 points. The Saints, zero. The Cardinals, 10. The Chargers, 16. The Rams, 14. They have not allowed a single opponent within this win streak over 20 points or even to touch 20 points. The defense is lights out. They're firing on all cylinders. This is not going to be a close game, in my opinion. They have the requisite pieces to limit the offense of the Seahawks. They're, they have the pass rush. They have the coverage. They have the linebackers to go in and, and, and press the rush of Kenneth Walker. So it, this really just comes down to who do you have faith in more, San Fran's defense or Geno Smith? So I'm kind of just looking at this, and I'm like, well, I, I want to give the Seahawks credit. I mean, they've been playing solid football this season. They have combat all the doubters, all the naysayers. Geno Smith is coming, uh, you know, trying to, you know, create a, a, a campaign to get a uh, a vote for the uh, comeback player of the year. Comeback player of the year. I'm sitting here having a complete brain fart. And then Kenneth Walker is trying to prove everybody wrong that, you know, he wasn't going to be able to shoulder the load as probably one of the better backs to come out of this draft class. And, of course, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and that offense is looking to prove Russell Wilson wrong to say we were going to be able to do this without you. So I think that they are out to prove people wrong as opposed to the 49ers are just sitting here trying to say we're not letting this go. I got San Fran by 10 points here, and I'm just going to say again, I think with the league's best defense – with how Brock Purdy is playing with this offense and how it's humming, even though they don't have Debo, Ayuk is playing heavy. His usage will go up. George Kittle will receive more targets. And, of course, Christian McCaffrey, when healthy, has proven time and time again he is a top back in this league. Last week proved it. And against a Seattle defense that's been struggling the last couple of weeks, I would 100% say that he has probably a very big game going for 125 to almost 150. I got the San Francisco 49ers moving on to 10-4. and four. Kev, I'm in full agreement with you on this one. And 
it mostly has to do with the fact that I just have so much faith in that 49ers defense based on what you just outlined. They've been phenomenal in this win streak. And granted, I do believe that Seattle will give that 49ers defense a little bit of a tougher challenge than what the Bucs were able to present last week. But I'm still at the mindset that that 49ers defense can maintain that Seattle offense led by Geno Smith to maybe 10 to 17 points the way that I see this game transpiring. And, you know, looking at this game just a little bit more specifically, I think there's actually some aspects that favor San Francisco, despite the fact that you have Brock Purdy as your third string quarterback and the, and their offense to a larger extent. When I look at Seattle last week, their defense gave up over 200 rushing yards on the ground to Carolina and Carolina granted they're a sub 500 team, but they're still fighting for a divisional spot in the NFC South to get that top spot in that division. And I'll say this, Carolina did a really decent job running the ball effectively. And to me, it was one of the biggest deciders from that game against Seattle last week. And then you kick it to the 49ers. The 49ers have a great rushing attack. The 49ers consistently over the last, I'd say, four to five years have had a great ground game. Granted, there have been some injuries in that department over the last couple of years. But when you got Christian McCaffrey in that backfield and he could be utilized for so many different purposes, running the football, being used in a screen game, he could run wheel routes. I'm of the mindset that Christian McCaffrey is said to have a big day against that Seattle defense. And then on top of that, if you look at Brock Purdy and how he played his first start last week against the Bucs, that's a pretty good start. And the Bucs don't really have that bad of a defense. They have a solid defense on that side of the ball. And I thought that Brock was able to move the ball up and down effectively against Tampa. And when I look at Seattle, Seattle's defense is shaky at best. And they gave up a bunch of points to Carolina last week. And there's a very good chance, knowing how solid that the 49ers offense has been just as far as effectiveness goes for the last couple of weeks, there's a good chance that the 49ers could put up somewhere around 20 to 27 points. These Thursday night games are a little bit tricky to get the offensive outcomes proper just because a lot of times these teams are coming in on three days rest at most. So you're not really going to see a high scoring game if you're really big into offensive output. But nonetheless, I think the way that Brock's been playing, he's playing confident. He's playing effective football by not turning the ball over. And he's been really consistent with completing his passes. You got Christian McCaffrey back there, who I think is going to have a big day. Kev, like you said, they're not going to have Debo. I think he injured his ankle, had an MCL sprain on top of it. So he's going to be out for a little bit. But you still got George Kittle. You got Brandon Ayuk. You got Jawan Jennings. I mean, there's still decent targets for Brock to work with. And I still think that he's going to be effective to slice and dice that Seattle defense. The only way that I see Seattle being somewhat effective in this game is two reasons. If Geno Smith is able to be effective against that San Francisco defense, which I think is highly doubtful because I think that 49ers defense, they're playing with a little bit of an extra chip on their shoulder because they know that the offense could be mired in a little bit of incompetence because they have a third string quarterback. And maybe this is a game where Brock doesn't play lights out like he did against Tampa. So I think they're playing with a little bit more swagger than usual. And I think that they're really going to put the clamps down on Seattle's offense. And that's despite the fact that I think Seattle has a pretty solid offense. You got Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. I mean, these guys can produce, especially when given opportunities and if they can win those one-on-one battles. But this is a game I don't see that happening. And then the other way that I could see Seattle potentially winning this game 
is if they really make this a dogfight. If Seattle's defense can slow down the 49ers offense, maybe force a couple turnovers and convert those turnovers into points, maybe they can make this a game and make it really like an ugly type win when it's all said and done. I just don't see that in this one. I think that that 49ers defense is going to get after Geno Smith. I wouldn't be surprised if Geno Smith gets sat somewhere around three or four times in this game. I think Geno's probably going to throw an errant pass or two. So there's definitely some opportunities for the 49ers to get some turnovers. And I think if Brock is able to just be viable, like he was against Tampa, viable is kind of disrespectful. He was more than that. He was great as far as I saw it. If he can play at that same standard going against Seattle this weekend, or not this weekend, on Thursday, then I think they'll be fine. As far as I see it, I I got the 49ers winning this one all day. Kevin, I'm pretty much going to be in the same ballpark as you. I think that the 49ers win this one fairly comfortably by about 7 to 10 points. If I had to put a score on it, I'm going to say that the 49ers win by the score of 24 to 14. I really think that the 49ers defense is going to be the pivotal force here. And I think they're able to force those turnovers, give Brock the ball with a nice field to work with. I think that they could take advantage of it. So overall, I think San Francisco gets this one pretty soundly. And as far as I see it, Kev, this win would essentially clinch the NFC West as far as I see it. Seattle had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to really take control of this division. They faltered over the last month by losing three out of their last four games. And I think this is another one of those situations where it's in their hands, but I think they're going to fall short just because they just don't have the pieces here to be able to go up against that 49ers defense. And that's no disrespect to Seattle. Seattle has great pieces to work with. It's just that 49ers defense is something else. That is a Super Bowl type of defense. And if they play like this, San Francisco could find their way not only to an NFC Championship game, they could screw around and potentially get to a Super Bowl. That's how good this defense is, and it is not to be trifled with. So I think I've pretty much sung my praises about the 49ers with this one. But overall, I got the 49ers winning this one pretty handily on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to rebuttal. Um, that defense is ridiculous. It's swarming. It's it's aggressive. It's fast. It's quick off the ball. Coverage has been great. So, you know, kudos to, you know, D'Amico Ryans, a former NFL player, big-time linebacker, to take the reins of this defense and just make it great again. I'm not to say that it hasn't been good over the past couple of seasons, but with injuries, personnel changes, there has been a lot left to to say about this defense, and it looks like he's revitalized them to just kind of, like, wake up and say, like, yo, do y'all realize who you are? Mm-hmm. Because on paper, at every position, they have stars. So it's mm-hmm. not surprising that they are this good. And, you know, as the season progresses, this is what you expect from a defense like this to be running on all cylinders. Injuries are going to happen no matter what, but they're getting healthy at the right time. And I think that that just speaks volume again to the coaching staff, getting them ready and prepared for these moments. Yeah, I think D'Amico Ryans is probably going to be someone that's going to be going after a head coaching job this offseason because I think he's definitely earned that praise at this point. Whether he gets it or not, we'll see. But based on how effective this 49ers defense has been, I think that he'd be a good candidate if there's some open uh, head coaching vacancies that would probably open up probably towards the end of the year. So who knows, Kev? Maybe the uh, the Colts move on from Jeff Saturday. Maybe D'Amico Ryans eventually gets that head coaching spot. Don't, 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 don't do that. Leave me alone. I, I have to suffer enough in silence. Leave me alone. I, I'm just saying that th- that could potentially be one particular Maybe. head coaching vacancy. I'm Maybe. just going to leave it at that. But, I mean, overall, I think the 49ers got this one wrapped up. I, just, I agree. I just don't see how Seattle can win this game outside of the two scenarios I had it with their defense 
locking down Brock Purdy in the 49ers offense. And somehow you have Seattle's defense. Well, you have Seattle's offense going up against that 49ers defense, which I just don't see happening. I, I think that 49ers defense is just too good to work with. And like you said, in that win streak, they haven't given up over 20 points and they've gone up against better offenses in this stretch. I think it's going to be a pretty easy case with the uh, with the 49ers in this one. But I will say, Kev, they got to play the game. And we have been known to miss to miss on our picks. So, yeah, I'm just saying, like, anything can happen. But I think Any given Sunday, than, bro, this is a Thursday. Thursday oh, true, true. You ain't, you ain't wrong. Any, I, I, any given, I, any given NFL game, whatever. I, 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 bro, I wouldn't have been surprised if I like said in that segment this weekend instead of tomorrow because I completely forgot that it's a it's a Thursday game. But oh well, if I make a mistake here or there, it is what it is. It uh, happens. But this game, speaking of speaking of mistakes, um, we got a we got a quarterback who's been making a little bit more mistakes than he has compared to a large portion of the season, and that was to attack of Iowa. And he's going to be a point of focus in this next game that we're going to cover. Uh, we got the Dolphins going up against the Bills on Saturday night. This is going to be a Saturday night game that's going to take place at 8-15. This is going to be a primetime game. And I will say, just from a divisional aspect, this is going to be one of the best AFC each, wow, AFC East matchups that we'll have for the rest of the season. Uh, just to kind of give a recap of where both teams stand right now, we got the Buffalo Bills sitting at a 10-3 record. We got the Miami Dolphins sitting at an 8-5 record. Uh, the Dolphins have been lackluster the last couple of weeks. Uh, they got absolutely spanked by the 49ers uh, about two weeks ago, and then last week going on the road, they've had this West Coast. They've had this West Coast trip the last couple of weeks, and they had a pretty bad loss to the Los Angeles Chargers last week on the road. So, two losses in a row. Uh, they've really struggled to put up points. They've only scored 17 points uh, in both of their last games. So they're definitely looking to get a little bit more offensive output. And then when you look at the Bills, the Bills have been consistent the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're on a pretty good win streak here. They're at the top of the division, and they've actually extended their divisional lead at this point. And I will say, if they end up finding themselves on the win column here, the AFC East, as far as I see it, is pretty much going to be wrapped up just because the Jets are too far behind, and the Dolphins are really the only team who have a shot to potentially take the AFC the AFC East away from the Bills. But we'll just kind of leave the game for where it's at. Kevin, I'm going to kick this one to you. We've got the Dolphins going up against the Bills on Saturday night. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? I got the Bills just because the Bills have been playing good the last few weeks. I know that they had a tough-fought game against the Jets but the Jets have a better defense than the Dolphins. And two has been faltering lately. Against the 49ers, he had three turnovers. Last week against, you know, the uh, I was about to say San Diego, but I didn't. Against the Chargers, he just could not get it going from the field. It just completely looked inaccurate, out of sorts, out of rhythm. The pass rush was able to get to him. So, I mean... Tua just looks like he's unraveling at the seams after we gave him all the praise in the world as the season progressed and as the Dolphins kept being, I don't know, one of the better teams in the AFC. I mean, I, I would consider they were they were relatively solid at 8-3 and because they're on a two-game losing streak. At 8-3, and three, I thought that they were going to be probably the AFC East favorite as Buffalo was just kind of waking back up. But it's been the complete opposite. They haven't been able to run the ball. The defense hasn't been able to stop anybody. Tua has looked off. And I mean, as, as an entire cohesive unit, as a team, the Dolphins just look out of whack. 
I don't know if it was the 49er game that snapped them into this this mindset or it, it kind of like scared them into, oh, shit, when we play good teams, this is what's going to happen. But they just do not look good at all. And on the Buffalo side, Josh Allen doesn't have to do too much. They're running the football a lot more, and uh, their defense is finding ways to create turnovers despite not having Von Miller. So, I mean, the Buffalo Bills kind of woke up from their little slump a month ago, and they are realizing that they are one of the better teams in the AFC. They also have to understand that they have an MVP candidate in Josh Allen, but that coaching staff needs to also understand you can't put him in harm's way whether that's lessening his touches running the football, whether that is focusing more emphasizing on giving your running backs more carries. They need to understand that balance is successful, play action is successful, and that playing good defense, keeping the ball away from the other team is going to be the best formula to get victories in this league. In this case, got to get Tua rattled. In this case, you're going to have to limit what Raheem Moser and uh, Jeff Wilson are able to do on the ground. And then, I mean, you just have to attack that secondary. Not, they have not been able to really stop much. I mean, Justin Herbert had himself a day. Brock Purdy had himself a day when he played in his freaking debut. So you really look at it like the last two quarterbacks, I mean, obviously apples and oranges between Purdy and Herbert, but they've both been able to pretty much carve up this defense. So I will say safely, I think Buffalo gets this win. It is in Buffalo. So Miami, again, has to travel acro- back across the country. And I mean, it's going to be pretty cold. I mean, I'm looking at this forecast. It's going to be 32. Miami is used to 70 to 85 degree weather this time of year. So, I mean, like, who knows if that 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 throws them off. There's potential for it to snow. So we will see what happens. But overall, I, I, I got Buffalo winning down the stretch. I mean, it is hard to win in Buffalo in December and January as the season progresses. So I think that is going to be a huge favor to why I have Buffalo winning by the score of maybe... I don't know. I'm thinking maybe 31-24, something like that. 31-21, some random score like that. I think Buffalo gets a couple of field goals to make this an awkward score. But I do agree. Or excuse me. I do believe that Buffalo comes out and becomes 11-3 uh, and three at the end of this game. I agree with you, Kev. The only thing I probably disagree is the score. I actually think it's going to be a smaller scoring total for both teams simply just because, like you outlined, it is potentially going to snow. On Saturday, I think Buffalo's expected to get like somewhere around two to four inches of snow. I mean, temperature-wise, it's not going to be frigid. It's not going to be like no. five degrees, six degrees outside. So, you know, there may be a potential for more passing in this game since it is going to be kind of like in the high 20s and low 30s. It's a lot better than single digits, I'll tell you that. But overall, I have too much faith in what the Bills have been doing recently. And when it comes to the Dolphins, Kev, they've been faltering. When I look at Tua over the last two weeks in particular, he's been flustered. And that's honestly kind of putting it in a mild manner here. There was a stretch in that Chargers game at one point last week. Kev, he was 4 of 18 with passing the ball against the Chargers at one point. Am I correct there? Absolutely, while we were recording. It was absolutely atrocious to look at that stat line and to see him playing that poorly, which is kind of weird because Tua, he was, as far as I saw it, the midseason MVP with how effective he had been in that quarterback spot for the Dolphins. And the Dolphins had been one of the more competitive teams in the AFC this year because of his stellar play. But he's gone up against, albeit some pretty solid defenses the last couple weeks with the Chargers and the 49ers. And he's come up small. And going up against this Bills defense, I don't think it's going to get any easier. Look what the Bills defense just did to Mike White last week. I mean, If we're just looking at this from a football perspective, they got after Mike White and they damn near killed him. Matt Milano put on one of the most 
cleanest hits I've seen in quite some time where Kev, he looked like a heat-seeking missile going after Mike White. If Tua takes one of those type of hits in this game from any player of that Bills defense, it is going to be a very long night for the Dolphins. And if the one thing that the Dolphins can maybe remedy the situation is they got to protect Tua because if that Bills defense is able to get effective pass rushes against Miami, it's going to be an uphill battle for Miami as far as I see it. And to kick it over to Buffalo, Buffalo has been on a pretty good stretch here the last couple of weeks. Uh, they did get a revenge game against the Jets this past weekend. They had that pretty embarrassing loss on the road to the Jets about a month ago. Uh, they were able to get that back last week, albeit there were some factors at play that kind of led to the one position score. Mostly weather had to do with it. 35 mile an hour wind gusts. It was a little bit chilly in Buffalo. So you didn't see the offensive explosion that we're usually accustomed to with the bills here. But when you look at them over the last couple of weeks, they've been very methodical offensively. They've been integrating more of the run game instead of just relying on Josh Allen to get the bills that are promised land by him throwing 40, 45, potentially even 50 passes a game. And I think that's a working formula for Buffalo from here on out. It's getting colder out. We're in that middle stretch of December where weather is going to be a significant factor from here on out. And I think if the Bills want to be that that tough, gritty Buffalo-type team that we've kind of come them to know for like the last couple of years or so, they're going to have to really rely on that run game because I think it's going to be a pivotal factor for their success to potentially get to another AFC Championship and maybe even a Super Bowl if they play their cards right. And in this game, I think the Bills are going to win this one relatively comfortably. I'm not going to say it's going to be a runaway game where the Bills win by two or three possessions. I do believe this will be a one-possession game when it's all said and done. I do think that the Dolphins are going to be able to string along some drives, maybe put up two, maybe three touchdowns in this game. That third touchdown might be a stretch. I'm not going to rule out that the Dolphins can't score against Buffalo because when you got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, there's always the potential for Tua to blow the top off of the defense with Tyreek just running straight down the field and beating everybody in their secondary. And when you got Jalen Waddle as your number two receiver, that's a pretty good target to throw to. But I don't think that the, I don't think that the Dolphins are going to be able to get a lot of explosion plays here from the offense. I think at best they might score somewhere around 17 points when it's all said and done. I got the Bills putting around 24 points in this one. I just think that weather is going to play a factor, so I think that's going to have a much bigger impact uh, than I originally expected before I even looked at the weather forecast. But overall, I think the Bills get this one. They win by one possession. And as far as I see it, Kev, they pretty much would round out the division um, with about three weeks left in the season. So the Bills get this win. They pretty much lock up the AFC East as far as I see it. And that's how I see this Saturday night game between the Dolphins and the Bills playing out. There's definitely a lot of games that are not official division clinchers, but I mean, like pretty much like locking it in. Set it's like a symbolic. It's, it's more symbolic. It's Buffalo's chance at redemption for losing in a close one. And I think that, again, they have that 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 taste saved in their mouth saying, you know what, we messed up. We had an opportunity to close that out or come back and we weren't able to do so. But um, this is where teams get their revenge. This is where teams kind of have that like that score on their locker. This is where they kind of just remind themselves we should have beaten them then. It is more important to beat them now. And it's why you love divisional matchups later in the year, because 
when you have your first two games kind of like within the first eight weeks, it's like, eh, I love it when the schedule favors to have it early on in the season, whether that's weeks four to seven, and then at the end, like weeks 12 to 17, it's just like, oh, shit, you, you messed us up a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Now it's like, you know, the division's on the line in this case. Yep. So I, I, I guarantee you both teams are definitely coming into this game and saying that we have no room for error. There is not an and there is not a uh, an excuse. There's no nothing here. It, it, this is what it needs to be. If Miami's playoff hopes are to stay alive, their division title hopes are, are to remain alive. This is a must-win game. And for Buffalo, I know that it's not a must-win game technically, but this is mentally we're not getting swept by this team back-to-back time, like back-to-back games. No shot. I mean, we we may not see it that way as far as the Bills are concerned, but I guarantee you, those guys are locked in right now oh yeah it's like they got to take advantage of the situation they have a great opportunity here to essentially clinch that afc east if they get that win on saturday but i mean going back to the first matchup of the year between the bills and the dolphins i mean we kind of have to take weather into account for that game as well because even though it was was sunny as hell it it was summertime basically it was 95 degrees outside and on the turf it's even hotter it's probably around 100 like 105 yeah 105 110 degrees on the turf and by the end of the game, I know the Dolphins won that one, but at that point, it was really just an attrition battle because when the clock hit zeros, both teams, I mean, just from a personnel perspective, they just dropped to the floor because they were just utterly exhausted. Guys were cramping up, and it wasn't just Buffalo players cramping up. It was Dolphins players cramping up. So, you know, granted, that was early in the season, and granted, the Dolphins get got the win in that one, but... I think the weather, just with the heat in that game, played a huge factor. And I think with this one, it's going to be the antithesis as far as the heat. This is going to be the cold. It's going to be the snow. I think this game is going to get a little bit gutter. It's going to be a little bit grimy. And I just favor Buffalo since they're used to that type of weather anyway. Miami's not. I think they have the advantage in this one. And Kev, I think the one thing that we've always honed in on with Buffalo, they have to run the ball more effectively. This is one of those games where weather's going to be a factor this may be not this may not be the game where you have josh allen go out there and throw the ball 40 45 times but maybe you get probably 25 to 30 running attempts i think this is a great opportunity for him it's just will they do that because as far as i see it if they're able to form and establish that well-rounded offense with josh allen throwing the ball when he needs to and the run game working effectively that team's going to be unstoppable because that defense is just as good as any top defense in the NFL. The only one I'd say is probably a little bit better is San Francisco, but the Bills' defense is no slouch by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely not. So I think this game is going to be a good one. I think it's going to be competitive, but I think the Bills get this one in a relatively close one. After this, we've got the Lions and the Jets game. Kev, I may have screwed up the order and the way that we were going to kick each game to each other, so I, I apologize if I kicked you the last two. You're fine. Yeah. I, hey, it's all good. I will happily provide you with this one, um, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. Floor's yours, <laughs> bud. <laughs> so Detroit, a team we have talked about over the course of the last few weeks, surging a game away from being 500, playoff hope still alive, and we're talking about the New York Jets who were competing for an AFC East title just basically a month ago, and now they have faltered their last few games, and they're 7-6. and six. Both teams fighting for their own respective differences. Detroit's fighting to get to 500. New York is staying is trying to stay above 500 and still compete in this division. So, I mean, I feel like this is going to be the battle 
of two organizations looking to change the narrative that they've had over the course of the last decade, if not more. So, Kyle, between this game, between the Jets and the Lions, who do you have coming out on top and why? I'm going to go with the Lions on this one. They've been the more consistent team. And granted, they do have to go on the road to New York to play the Jets. But I think they have the pieces to be able to pull off this road win and get to a 500 record. When I look at the Lions over the last couple of weeks, Kev, they're one of the best teams just within like the last five to six weeks. Granted, I know there are better teams out there with better records. But as far as offensively is concerned, with the production that the, the Lions have been able to establish with Jared Goff as a quarterback, they've been extremely effective. They just came off of one of their biggest wins this season, beating the Vikings fairly handily. And granted, you know, those are one of those divisional games that can go either way. The Lions know the Vikings pretty well, but the way that they beat them was pretty sound. And it's really one of the first time that I think the Vikings have been humbled this year outside of maybe the Eagles game that took place on a Monday night earlier in the season. And I think that that momentum that the Lions have at their back, I think that's going to carry them here. And I think the one thing that we have to look forward to with the Lions, there's one component of the defense that I want to focus on here. They were able to get two fumbles off of the Vikings last week. And that's something that I think is going to be absolutely pivotal here for the Lions. If the Lions can be able to force turnovers against this Jets offense, I think that's going to be critical. And the one issue that popped up with the Jets going up against the Bills last week was the Jets had some fumbles. And they had, I think, one fumble in particular from one of the running backs at one of the most inopportune times in the fourth quarter when they were driving to either get into the red zone or they were already in the red zone. So if the Lions can be able to force those turnovers against the Jets and get the ball back to Jared Goff, I think that Goff can be able to lead those offensive drives down the field to put some points on the board. And not only that, I think the Lions have a really solid cast of targets to be able to throw to here. Obviously, you got Amon Ross St. Brown, who's been one of the biggest productive receivers that we've seen for Detroit all year. They've got DJ Chark. They've got Jamison Williams, who's their rookie wide receiver who just came from Alabama this past draft. He got his first touchdown last week. And it just seems as if Overall, the Lions offense is running and gunning. They're putting up 25, 30 points consistently. And I think that they're in prime position to get this win here. I will say, though, it is going to be tough going up against this Jets defense because the Jets, the one thing that they've been known for this year is having a stingy defense. And granted, there have been some games that they've lost this year, but it has not been because of the defense. The defense has largely kept them in these close losses that they've suffered. And last week was one of them. They only gave up 20 points to the Bills last week. And the Jets offense was only able to put up 12 points in the process. And that's really been the biggest issue with the Jets this year is that their offense, while it is young and there's potential and promise with them, there have been times where they've just fallen short and they can't produce to put up 20 to 25 points consistently. And the one thing that I have to focus on with the Jets here, can they protect Mike White? Because Mike White basically took a heat-seeking missile from Matt Milano last week, one of the linebackers from the Bills, cracked a couple of his ribs, had to end up going to the hospital after the game uh, to potentially deal with some internal injuries sustained in that game. And I think that's going to be a huge point of emphasis when it comes to the coaching staff with the Jets, Robert Sala especially. You're not going to be able to win if you can't protect your quarterback. So that's one focus for the Jets. Also, I would like to see if they can run the ball effectively. I know they had some fumble issues last week with their running back department, but I don't think that they should lose hope 
and just solely rely on Mike White to get them this win by passing the ball 30 to 45 times. I think they have a pretty solid attack as far as just a well-rounded performance from both their running game and their passing game. And I do believe that if the Jets are going to win this game, it is going to be a balanced attack between Mike White and their running back core as far as I see it. But I just don't see the Jets being able to put up enough points against the Lions here. The Lions have a good offense to work with here. And until they prove me otherwise, the Lions are going to be in prime position to win this game as far as I see it. There's a scenario where I do see the Jets winning, and it would be that defense locking down Jared Goff, forcing him into some turnovers, and then the Jets turning those turnovers into points. But I have too much faith in the Lions offense right now, and the Jets would have to prove me otherwise for me to change my mind on this one. So overall, I've got the Lions winning this one. I do think this is going to be a competitive game. I don't think that either team is going to run away with this one. I think the Lions win this one in a one-possession game. I'm going to say the Lions win this one by the score of 28-24. to 24. I think it's going to be a four-point game when it's all said and done. But when it comes down to the end of it, I got Jared Goff making the plays that need to be made for the Lions to get this win. And unfortunately, I just don't see Mike White being in the position to make those plays for the Jets. And that's despite the fact that I think that Mike White, when protected, has actually been very solid for the Jets. I think in this one, they're going to fall just a little bit short. And you know, with the way I have it outlined, the Lions are going to be 500, and they could very much be in play for a wild card spot in the NFC. That's just how I see it. So, Kev, the floor is yours on this one. If Mike White was healthy, I would pick the Jets. But the fact that he took such a beating, and that was only a week ago, obviously now it's earlier than a week, but by the time the game happens, it's going to be a week. I would 100% say the Jets because I, I feel like Mike White is going to give them the ability to expand the field Obviously, Sauce Gardner is a Rookie of the Year candidate. Obviously, a Defensive Player of the Year candidate as well, depending on who you ask. But because the quarterback position is up in the air, Mike is expected to play. However, if he gets hit one time hard enough, he's done. Either that's an immediate visit to the hospital again, or the Jets are going to just have him on the sideline for a while, maybe even shut him down for the year, because we're talking about multiple rib injuries, again, depending on what the actual doctors said within internal injuries. I don't even know if he should be playing this week. And if Zach Wilson comes in, I have no faith in him to do anything. So again, because of the injury to Mike White, because of Detroit being hot, I'm going to go with the Lions and Jared Goff's exceptional play. However, I will say that they are going to have to lean more on DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams because of the secondary of New York. Although they were not able to really slow down Justin Jefferson, although they were not necessarily able to slow down Stephon Diggs, I think, once again, because of the fact that they can spread the ball out to Reynolds, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then, of course, Jamison, who just came off of injury in his rookie year, I think that gives him too many options to throw the football. Jared Goff has been playing with confidence. He has been playing with poise, and I think that with him actually stepping up to prove the haters wrong along with Dan Campbell and that coaching staff, pushing him and motivating him, because let's not forget, he was tossed to the side by L.A. the second they had an opportunity to get Matthew Stafford. And look at Matthew Stafford now. Injured. And the Lions have a better record than the Rams this season. So, like, who's really winning? I mean, obviously, the Rams won the Super Bowl last year, but I'm talking about in terms of better quarterback play as the seasons have progressed. Jared Goff looks exceptionally well. And, I mean, like, he looks absolutely incredible. 22 touchdowns to seven interceptions. That is a great touchdown-to-interception ratio. And aside from that, the offense is playing at a, an exceptional rate, while at the same time, the defense is playing at a phenomenal pace, whether that's taking the ball away, pressuring the quarterback, or just creating turnovers. So, I'm going to go with Detroit. 
I agree with Kyle completely on the score. It's going to be a tight one. 28-24 seems completely reasonable to me. I know New York is going to be home, so I will give the fact that New York is going to be home, which is why I will give uh, the margin of victory to be like three, four points. If they were in Detroit, this may be a not a blowout, but I think this would be anywhere from a seven to ten point game because I think those Detroit fans are starting to get rowdy at the right time. But uh, I got Detroit moving to 500 finally, and unfortunately that also means the Jets will fall to 7-7 seven and seven being 500 as well. It's going to be a fun game, though. I think, this is one of those so. ga- I think this is one of those games where there may not be a lot of hype just because it's the Lions and the Jets, and maybe just if you're just a casual fan, this isn't really a game that's going to knock your socks off. But I will say, the way that Jared Goff's been playing the last month or so, he's been extremely effective. And that Detroit Lions offense, they've been very balanced. Their run game with uh, DeAndre Swift and uh, Jamal Williams, it's been very solid. I mean, I had Jamal Williams on my fantasy team uh, the last month or so, and there were multiple games where he was putting two, three rushing touchdowns a game. And then on top of that, you got Amara St. Brown, you got Jameson Williams, who's uh, Jameson Williams, who's back in the fold, you got DJ Chark. Like they got some solid targets to be able to throw to, and I think. Really, when it comes to the Lions' success this year, it's really been predicated on what their offense has been. When it comes to the Jets, the Jets have been just... Kev, I don't really know how to describe this. Like, the Jets have been up here, then they've been down here. They've been up here, then down here. Like They're riding the emotional roller coaster. Exactly. Like, it's like good week, bad week. Good week, bad week. Yeah, because, I mean, they started off fine, and then everything went to hell in a handbasket after that Patriot game where Zach Wilson made his comments about was he responsible for that loss. And sure enough, you got Mike White who came in and did what he needed to do. But I'm just saying, you know, the, the Lions, I think they got the pieces here to get this done, go on the road and potentially get this win. But the Jets need this one. The Jets have been faltering Big the last time. couple of weeks. And I think if they were to lose this one, I mean, they would fall back to a 500 record. I mean, you know, they, they got to keep pace with the rest of these AFC teams that are potentially getting a wild card spot. And as it's laid out right now, the Patriots have the tiebreaker over the Jets. So if the playoffs were to end right now, or, or the playoffs were to start right now, excuse me, Patriots would be in, the Jets would be out. So Jets really got to be on their A game here. They got to be on their P's and Q's uh, if they're going to try to get to an 8-6 and six record. Uh, just because I think at this point, they're going to need that just to keep pace with the Patriots in their own division. And not only that, you got the Chargers to contend with as well in the AFC West. So... There's a lot of moving pieces here, and you know the Jets tight, have their... tight race for the playoff, bro. Tight, tight race. Yeah, and these last couple of weeks are gonna dictate who's gonna get into that wild card spot and who isn't. But I'm not gonna say rule out the Jets yet. I'm not gonna say rule them out because I know the Patriots got a really brutal stretch at the end of the year. I think the, the, the Patriots got to play the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins to close out the year. That's going to be a very tough stretch. So it's tough. There's an opportunity for teams like the Chargers and the Jets to possibly get that last wild card spot. But they got to play up the snuff, bro. They got to. So, Dude, they, indeed they do. So after this, we got the Bengals and the Tampa Bay Bucks game. So, Kev, I got plenty to say about this one, bro. Oh, no, don't, don't worry. I got you with the lob. Just make sure you finish at the rim. Dude, we got my boy Joseph going against your boy Tom. Battle of the, the, the you know, Battle of the freaking quarterbacks right here because we all know that Tom Brady, 45 years old, still playing at a crazy rate. However, the Buccaneers have not been able to show it with injuries, 
um, struggles at the offensive line, uh, defensive ineptitudes. I mean, you name it, the Buccaneers have just been through it this year. And they were embarrassed last week. So I think that they are looking to rebound from an absolute shit show last week. And then the Bengals, they're riding high. Four or five game win streak right now. Joe Burrow's playing at an MVP level. And then, of course, they are looking to secure, uh, once again, their division, as we mentioned earlier, competing with the Ravens. So in this matchup, Joe Burrow versus Tom Brady, who do you got and why? Okay, I'm going to go with your boy. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow in this one. I've got no faith in Tom right now. And that's no slight against how he's played the last couple of weeks. It's just offensively, the Bucks have been a dumpster fire this year. They struggled. They even scored 20 points. And when you look at the last game that they just played against the 49ers, Kevin was 35 to nothing at one point. They were getting blown out. And I understand that the Bucks offensive line has had their issues. Tom hasn't been as good this year compared to years past. But I just have no faith in this Bucks offense to be able to score enough points to get this win. You know, it's one thing if you're scoring 20, 25 points and you're falling short in that regard. Kev, they can't even get out of the teens. I mean, some games they can't even crack out of the single digits when it comes to their offensive point totals. And until they put more points on the board and they start stringing along some drives where they're not just settling for field goals, they're actually scoring touchdowns. The Bucks are going to be a subpar, mediocre team as far as I see it. And with them going up against the Bengals, the Bengals are one of the hottest teams in the AFC right now. And you could even say in the NFL to a larger extent. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, they had a nice bounce back win against the Browns last week, simply just because in the first matchup that the Bengals played against the Browns earlier this year, the Browns smacked them. The Bengals gave up 30 plus, uh, 30 plus points in that game. Jacoby Brissett looked amazing in that game. And Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense couldn't get anything going. But really, since that loss, the Bengals have turned it up a notch. They've beaten some great teams along the way. Uh, they had their biggest win a couple of weeks ago against KC in a really close battle. But when you can knock off Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, uh, that just really kind of goes to show how effective they've been the last couple of weeks. And going up against the Bucks in this one, I think they have plenty of opportunities to get some points on the board. Simply just because I think that that Bucks defense is going to spend too much time out there on the field because the Bucks offense isn't going to be able to get third down conversions to string some drives along. And I will say, you know, when it comes to the Bengals defense, I think they're going to be able to effectively lock down this Bucks offense to around 10 to 14 points because the Bucks have just shown me time and time again, they cannot be trusted to get 20 points plus. And I understand they got the GOAT. I understand they got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and some other pretty solid receivers. You could also add in Julio Jones there as well. But I think the Bengals could hold them to teen-digit numbers. And I think as long as Joe Burrow doesn't turn the ball over and gives Tom Brady ample opportunities to cash in off of those turnovers, I think the Bengals win this one fairly comfortably. I think there's a very good chance that the Bengals could put up somewhere around 20, 25 points. This isn't a game where they need to put up 30 points plus and they have to win in a shootout to get this dub on the road. I don't see that happening. I think as long as the Bengals get somewhere around 20 to 25 points, I think that'll be more than enough to win. And I think, you know, when you look at Joe Burrow, you got you got Joe Mixon in the fold. You got Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. They just have the targets to work with here. And I think, you know, Tampa has a pretty solid defense. Last week it didn't show because Brock Purdy just basically blew them apart. Christian McCaffrey tore them up on the ground. Debo Samuel made some plays as well before he got hurt. And I think Tampa... You know, when it comes to their defense here, 
they're going to be stretched on their they're basically going to be stretched to their back heels at this point because those Bengals players I think just have those one-on-one matchups to win at their disposal and I think more times than not Bengals are going to get those one-on-one wins and I think that's really going to be how this game is going to play itself out I think when it's all said and done I think the Bengals win this one probably by about 10 points they could potentially win this one by 14 plus depending on how bad that Tampa offense plays I think if I had to put a score on this one I'm going to say the Bengals win this one by the score of let's say 23 to 13 I think Joe Burrow could put up two touchdowns two touchdowns on the board They'll get some field goals probably in the second half to extend their lead. And I think they'll be able to force some turnovers potentially against the Bucs. Maybe one interception or two from Tom. But by and large, I think it's mostly going to be the Bucs are not going to be able to move the ball effectively against the Bengals defense. And all the Bengals have to do is lead a couple drives down the field to get some touchdowns on the board. And I think that's going to be the difference maker. When it comes to Tampa, they got to prove to me that they could score. They haven't been able to do that the last couple of weeks, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. There's too much incompetence as far as I see it with the Bucks here. I think the Bucks lose this one fairly handily. And I think with that said, the Bengals would improve to 10-4 and four on the season as far as I see it. So, Kev, the floor is yours from here on out, bro. Dude, to me, this is a blowout. I, For the sheer fact, hear me out, third-string quarterback last week, right? Absolutely annihilates them. Defense contributes as well. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it was just Brock Purdy. But Debo gets hurt. Christian McCaffrey has to shoulder the load. Ayuk only has like, I don't know, like 50, 60 yards or some odd thing like that. We're talking about Jamar Chase, Boyd, Hurst, and Higgins. Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow. One of the best offenses in the league. And the 49ers won by 28. I'm trying to let the audience think here. You know, if, if if the 49ers can do it with a lesser offense and a better defense, albeit again, I I understand what I'm 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 setting up here. I need people to understand how powerful offense is in this league. If they're scoring at a fast pace at a high clip, whether or not Tampa eclipses 20 points, that defense is not stopping Jamar Chase and those boys. That defense is not going to slow down Joe Burrow and the confidence that they have right now, the swagger that he presents. Are you like? I need people to understand how difficult it is to slow this offense down the way that teams need to because of the potential of one of the three-headed monster receivers going off. If worse come to worse, the receivers are having an off day, the Tampa rush defense is not what it once was. I mean, Christian McCaffrey went for, like, what, over 150 total purpose, all-purpose yards last week? Hand the ball up to Joe Mixon. He's a pass-catching back, too. Let him get 150, 160 total yards. I mean, it's going to provide the same outcome. It's going to provide the same result. These offensive players that the Bengals have, as long as the offensive line holds for the Bengals, are arguably some of the best players in the league. I would argue that this is probably the best receiving core in the league, and it's not close. The Bengals have an opportunity to take control and really seize the moment and continue to fight for the AFC North, where the Buccaneers have no definitive identity. Are they the injured Bucks? Are they the incapable Bucks? Are they the um, the offense offensively inept Bucks? Are they the defensive struggle allow fifty points a game Bucks? I don't know what we're getting here. I know that they had a close comeback win against the Saints, but that's not really saying much when Andy Dalton is their quarterback and they're not really winning any games as well. But when you go up against good teams, the Buccaneers look like crap. Prime example last week. 
I don't necessarily know how people can make this a closer game than what we're kind of in, interpreting here, but I got the Bengals by like 14 points, bro. Realistically, if this were to get out of hand by the third quarter, maybe even before halftime, I would not be surprised. Again, this is no slate to Tom Brady, but he has regressed this season, uh, not only because of the lack of offensive line and protection, but because some me- you can make the argument timing of the throwing is off, relationship with the receivers is off, I mean, decision-making is off, but we have talked about this a multitude of times, and I'm not going to go into the tangent. When you don't have time to throw and your offensive line is consistently getting beat, I mean, uh, Kyle, what's that offensive lineman's name? Donovan Smith? Yes, sir. We're talking about the worst guard in football. Tackle. Tackle. Excuse me. The worst tackle in football. You can look up the numbers yourself. Uh, He's absolutely atrocious. But because of the lack of depth that Tampa has, the only option. So... When you leave players like that on the field and you expect them to protect the greatest quarterback of all time at 45, the results are going to be pretty obvious. So I got the Bengals winning in a blowout fashion, probably somewhere along the lines of maybe even 35, 38 to like 14, 17 points. I really do think that this Bengals offense is too high powered and the Bucks are going to have to force it down the field and that's going to create turnovers and problems for Tom. So I got the Bengals moving to 10 and 4 as well. I mean, Kev, since you brought Donovan Smith, bro, he's basically the equivalent of an easy pass lane on a highway. I mean, you might as well just let him just drive a car through the lane because, bro, he can't guard anybody. And I know I'm flaming Donovan Smith here. Bro, he's a troll. Rightfully so. He's. I mean, for those that don't know what an easy pass is, is the equivalent of a sun pass. It's it's just the, the, the keep, same keep, thing, but down keep up north. Through. Keep driving through. You don't stop. Exactly. You don't stop at a toll. You just keep on driving. No, Kev... You know, here's the thing. Has Tom played good this year, or has he played well this year? No. But I've been watching their game specifically over the last couple of weeks or so. He's getting the ball out so quick because he knows if he stands there for three, four, five seconds to get the ball out, there's going to be a holding penalty. And more times than not, it's probably going to be Donovan Smith. Kev, I've never really seen a scenario like this where Thomas had to deal with such little time to throw the ball because – not because of the pass rush, but because he's in fear of, if I don't get this ball out quick enough, we're going to go back 10 yards because of some sort of holding penalty on the offensive line. And I think that's really been the biggest downfall for the Bucks this year. Granted, Tom can be better. I'm not going to miss that point entirely. But when you look specifically at why a lot of these receivers are running four, five, six-yard routes, it's because the offensive line can't protect anybody. And really, like when you look at the offensive line this year compared to last year, there was so much change on that, that offensive line this past offseason. And then when you have Ryan Jensen out for the year, he's essentially the captain of that offensive line. You can tell that they miss his presence. You know, not only that, uh, they, they lost uh, Tristan Wirfs has been out of the lineup here and there. Uh, Alex Kappa is playing with the, I think he's playing with the Bengals right now. So he gets yeah. to actually run, a, run it back against his former team. And then Ali Marpet retired this past offseason. So they've really had a changing of the guard on the offensive line this year. I think it's had a detrimental effect for the Bucs as a whole. And it, Brady is just justifiably frustrated. I was actually watching a clip of him this past weekend. I mean, granted, they were going to lose that game just because the 49ers are nice. But he's on the sideline trying to rally something for that I saw team. that clip today while I was at Miller's. Like It was just like... 
Tim getting everybody. We're not giving up. Yeah. You want to give up? Do you want to stop you, fighting? I saw and, that. And you could look at the coaching staff. They're, they're not doing anything as far as putting some sort of emotion or energy into the they team. They look out. Yeah, they look like they're just showing up, going through the motions, and they'll just live with the results. It, it, it's yeah, a bad look on Todd Bowles, bro. I can't even front. I'm not saying this has anything to do with that, but, I mean, this is not the same team that Bruce Arians led last year, albeit they have not had the same success when it comes to keeping people healthy. But in prime examples like that, where Tom Brady has to basically wake the entire 53-man roster up by himself at age 45, I would say that's not good if your coaches aren't ripping into you after the performances that they were putting out over the past couple of weeks. So I agree with you completely. It, it, it's a bad look on Tampa overall, for sure. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I think it's very easy just to assume that this is a clear sign of Tom Brady regressing, basically like he's falling off the cliff. I still don't see that. I think this is mostly just internal issues offensively with the offensive line, timing issues not being there because the whole offense, I think, Kevin, it feels like the whole offense is being compressed because yeah. they have very limited time to work with because this is a night and day difference from last year. Tom threw 40-plus touchdowns last year. And you're going to tell me one year is going to make the difference? I highly doubt it. I think, by and large, this is just a consequence of the major shift on the offensive line. So, and, you know, guys dealing with injuries, getting dinged up left and right. You know, I mean, that just kind of comes with the territory. But, no, the, the Bucs are they're in trouble. And there's no guarantee they're going to win the NFC South. Hell no. That. Not the way. Bro, Carolina's out here competing. What are they, 5-9, five 5-8, and nine, five and eight, whatever the hell their record is? Bro, it's they, ridiculous. They were they, supposed to be tanking for Bryce Young. They're doing the and, opposite. And they smashed the Bucs in the first matchup this year Facts. at home. So, Bucs definitely got to play up to snuff here because there's, like I said, they're potentially at risk of not even making the playoffs. They play their cards right, bro. Or they don't play their cards right, I should say. But with that said, uh, we are going to round out the last game that we're going to cover for Week 15. It's very sad that we're already at Week 15, Kev. I know we're only three weeks away from the end of the regular season, but, man, it's I just can't believe it just flies this fast. I know we could have said this at the top of the episode, but it's like, it just... You don't, you don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I know. But... The end of the regular season comes to playoffs. Like we'll be getting yes, hell for that. Yes, so. sir. But before well, we close out the games here, the last one we're going to go over is going to be an NFC East battle that has some huge playoff implications as far as I see it. We've got the New York Giants and the Washington Commanders running it back for the second time this season. Uh, the first time these two teams met, we had the Giants and the Commanders tie. I can't believe I'm actually saying they tied in the first matchup. I believe the score was 20 to 20 when the game came to an end. And as of right now, both teams stand at a 7 5 and 1 record. This game takes place in Washington. And I will say, both of these teams need a win to just get one leg up on the competition and potentially fight for an NFC wild card spot when the playoffs are all around. So this game has major implications as far as I see it. So, Kev, to kick this one to you. We've got the Giants and the Commanders going at it in an absolutely pivotal NFC East battle this weekend. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? I, I have to go with the Commanders. As much as I want to pick the Giants, man, I try to give them the benefit of the doubt week in and week out because that is the home team. But let's remember the Giants started off 6-1 and one this year. Their record currently is 7-5-1. and one. You can do the math yourself. That is not good over the last, what, six weeks of the season? 
They do not look like they're firing on all cylinders. They look inept on offense at certain times. Their defense gives up big plays over the top certain way. I mean, when they're on the field as much as they are because the offense isn't able to keep the ball. I mean, like anything else, aside from their pass rush, they're just going to continue to falter. Um, Daniel Jones has regressed as the season has progressed. And obviously, as the Giants play from behind in some of these games, Saquon Barkley's efficiency is going to drop down. His total yards are going to drop down. And his, you know, obviously his ability to play the running back with him already being hindered with a shoulder injury that he suffered uh, a couple weeks back, if not a couple months back against Green Bay. It's just not a good look for the Giants, man. They're also a team that has been riddled with injuries at multiple positions, whether that's the defensive line, offensive line, the wide receiver core, the secondary, you name it. The Giants have pretty much suffered every injury that you possibly could at every position outside of the quarterback. Knock on wood for Daniel Jones, not trying to bring any bad juju. But, I mean, Daniel Jones has 12 touchdowns and four interceptions, and we're going into week 15. That is less than one touchdown per week. That is absolutely atrocious. We know that Daniel Jones provides a different level of offense when he is able to escape or design or there is design runs for him with his legs but outside of his ability to escape the pocket there has been a lot of question in his ability to throw the football at a consistent clip I mean he has not looked good the last couple of weeks like I had said I mean when you put the ball in his hands and you kind of take Saquon out of it he's not the best quarterback with the opportunities that have been presented to him and I think that's probably why the Giants front office did not want to pick up that fifth year option but if he doesn't play well Obviously, like anything else, if the quarterback doesn't play well, the, the team doesn't do good. But when Daniel Jones is most successful, it is when he is throwing anywhere from 200 to 250 with over 75 yards on the ground. Saquon's going to have over 80 to 100 yards, and the defense is able to pressure the quarterback and create turnovers. If that does not happen, I think that the commanders could 100% run away with this. Taylor Heineke has been playing good. Terry McLaurin has been playing good. Curtis Samuel, Brian, John, Brian Robinson, I mean, you name it. The commanders have done everything they needed to do. Chase Young is questionable for this game, so we will see if he plays. And there's a couple of other players on the injury report to be monitored for. But again, it is Wednesday, so we're not going to look too deep into it. I would assume that Chase is going to play with it being week 15 and him being held out the last couple. I mean, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. Did Chase play last week? No, he had the bye week. They had a bye last week. So Chase Young is supposed to be slated to make his season debut this week against the Giants. You add somebody like that. For either 40 to 60 percent of the snap counts on the defensive side that is another pass rusher that the Giants have to worry about and somebody that Daniel Jones needs to be aware of because if you look at 99 on the field you know he's coming for you and I think that's going to get into the psyche of Daniel Jones and the ability to throw the football so I got Washington I don't want to say it's going to be a blowout but I don't think it's going to be close I think it's going to be anywhere from 10 to 13 points just because I think that the Giants just have too many injuries to combat at the receiver position, and of course, like I had just stated, the ineptitude of the offense, they haven't necessarily been able to move it consistently enough for me to give them the benefit of the doubt. I got the commanders, especially coming off of a bye. People are rested. People are able to move forward, and I think that they move on to 8-5-1, and one, and they are getting closer to a playoff berth. You know the crazy thing is when we first covered the first matches that took place between these two teams, Kev, we had this game as an absolute runaway for the commanders. And it was simply just because, from the injury perspective, the Giants were just riddled with injuries. I mean, I know that there have been plenty of teams throughout the NFL that have been just absolutely decimated by injuries this year. The Giants are at the top of that pecking order, just because from an offensive perspective, they've been just absolutely demolished by injuries. Their whole wide receiving core is basically a shell of itself compared to what they started with this year. And I think, you know, when you look at this game, 
I got to favor the commanders in this one, and I keep bringing up the same injury bug issue. I just don't believe the Giants have enough personnel to be able to combat what the commanders did. They Granted, they did enough to get a tie in the first matchup, but I think the fact that this game is taking place in Washington instead of New York this time, I think the energy that the fans in Washington are going to bring for the commanders, I think it's going to be a factor at play, and I think that Taylor, Heineke, and that offense, and you could say the defense as well, are going to feed off of that energy to get them this win. And this is an absolutely pivotal game for both teams here because as far as I see it, whoever really wins this game, they dictate their path towards potentially getting an NFC wild card spot. Because you know, when you look at the rest of the NFC, when it comes to even their own division, one of these teams at the top, either the Cowboys or the Eagles, are going to get the division. But the team that finishes in second is going to get a wild card spot. And then after that, you know, it's going to be a fight for whoever's going to get those last two wild card spots. Now, it could be that the Commanders and the Giants could even potentially duke it out to where both teams end up going to the playoffs. But based on where both teams stand right now, I don't have faith that the Giants are going to be able to make the playoffs just simply just because their offensive effectiveness has gone down because of the injuries. Saquon is not as effective because of the injuries, like Kevin had just stated. And I think when you're going up against a defense like the Commanders, who have really been solid, I'd say over the last month or so, I just don't believe that Daniel Jones is going to be able to put the plays together for that Giants offense to put enough points on the board to get them this win. Granted, it was enough to get them a tie last time, but they're going to need more than that because they can't settle for another tie. And then to kick it over to the Commanders, Kev, I'm with you. I think that Taylor's going to be able to lead this offense to put up enough points on the board. Not saying he goes out there and throws for 300 or 350 yards passing. Looks like Patrick Mahomes out there. They don't even need that. But if they can get relatively consistent passing from him, if he completes somewhere around 60 to 70% of his passes, doesn't turn the ball over, and is able to effectively hit his targets throughout the game, I think that's all they need. And also, they do have a solid run game to work with. You've got Brian Robinson in the backfield. I think... You know, you tie those factors in offensively, they're going to be able to put up points on the board. I will say, though, there's one thing that I have to focus on with Washington, and that's if they if they can get past this Giants defense. This Giants defense, give them credit. They had to make the commanders earn that last touchdown drive in the first matchup because the Giants were winning late in that game against the commanders in the first matchup. It was Taylor Heineke and the commander's offense that actually tied the game with a late touchdown in the fourth quarter that eventually sends it into overtime. If the Giants were able to win this game, it would really be on the backs of their defense. Their defense has really been the pivotal piece to their success this year because a lot of these games that they've won, they've been one-possession games, and they've been games where the offense has only put up somewhere around 17 to 23 points. It's really been the defense that has stepped up and limited opposing offenses to pedestrian performances. And I think if the Giants were to win this game, they'd have to force some turnovers off of Taylor Heineke. And then Daniel Jones and the offense would have to, I would say, try to manage some sort of points from it. But I think points are going to come at a premium in this game just because I think both defense, defenses are going to play up to snuff in this one. But I got the commanders in this one. Like I said, I think the energy that the home crowd is going to bring is going to be a factor. I think the whole team is going to feed off of that. And I think just the overall energy they bring into this game on top of what they have schematically based on what the coaches have uh, in the playbook this week. 
I think the Commanders win this one in a relatively close game. I don't have this as a runaway game. I still believe the Giants are going to make this close because of what their defense has been able to do uh, time and time again this year. So as far as I see the score being, I'm going to say the Commanders win this one by the score of 23-17. to I don't think it's going to be that much different based off of what we saw in the first game between these two teams. But like I said, I think the Commanders have the edge at home. And I think they'll be able to do just enough against this Giants defense to put up enough points on the board. And I think their defense will slow down Daniel Jones and the offense enough to where I think they'll limit them to about 17 points. But I got the Commanders winning this one. They would improve to 8-5-1 and one on the season. And at that point, their path to the playoffs is entirely in their hands. And how they want to dictate the outcomes could be based on how they play the last couple weeks from here. But that's how I have this game playing out. It kind of sucks that we're, we're we're sitting here talking about the last couple of games being dictated based off of injury, based off of kind of like what they've had to go through offensively, defensively, whatever the case may be. And it's like, damn, if, you know, you always want teams to be healthy so they can kind of go at each other at their fullest capacity. And with this division being as competitive as it has been over the course of this season, you want them to, you know, give it their all. But it, it's just so difficult when you talk about the Giants because they've, like I said in my points, and in my analysis, they've been hurt at every position. I know we talked about Tampa. They had a couple of secondary issues. They had a couple of offensive line issues. But for the most part, you know, they've been relatively healthy outside of that. And like a couple of banged, a couple of banged up receivers like Julio and Godwin. But they've been they've been back. Their secondary, their secondary has been dinged up from time to time. But it hasn't been season-ending injuries for Tampa's secondary. They've been like maybe out one or two weeks. They've been able to come back from those injuries. When it comes to the Giants, though. The Giants have not had that type of, what I would say, luck. Wandale Robinson, yeah, exactly. Wandale Robinson out for the year. I mean, Kenny Galladay. Xavier has, McKinnon like, broke his uh, broke his hand. Uh, what was it? Snowmobiling or something like that, or whatever. I, I, th- I think Javon Thibodeau has been in and out of the lineup. He's one of their rookies that they drafted. Javon Thibodeau, yeah, 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 yeah. He's been in and out. So it's just so is their offensive lineman. It's just been nuts. Yeah, it, 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 bro. It's and honestly, I give Brian Dable a lot of credit just for being able to stabilize the team enough to put them in a position where what we're halfway through the December, and there's still a chance that they can make the playoffs. But it's just like when it comes to injuries, bro. I mean, it's the extent and the significance of these injuries that have just put the Giants in a tailspin the last couple of weeks. Like you said, they started off the season six and one. And I would say that Brian Dable was up for coach of the year based on the first half of the season. But even coaches know if you just don't have the pieces out there because of injuries, you know, you got to mitigate it as best as you can, but you're never going to be able to slow it down. You're never going to be able to stop it. So I think, I think the idea of, you know, seeing these teams at full potential power, I mean, at this point in the season, it's just not going to happen because it doesn't matter which team you're on in some way, shape or form, a lot of these guys are dinged up. Nobody's necessarily truly 100%. I mean, I actually have that from personal experience as well, but overall, it's just, it's really just try to mitigate the injuries as best as you can. And if you don't have the pieces out there to run it, hey, it's next man up. You've got to be able to step up and make the place. So I think when it comes to the Giants, that's their mentality. It's going to be next man up and they got to be able to make those plays. They got to make it when it counts. So Facts. But I think, you know, with the Giants, it's going to be an uphill battle for them. So, And I know they're they're the home team for you, you know, representing New York, but I got Washington in this one, bro. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you know, we're talking about the Giants. It's kind of like a perfect segue into the conversation that we're going to close it out with. And that is going to be 
the drama and news circling around Odell Beckham Jr. Kyle, I know that you had read a report just before we started recording, so I will let you lead with that just so we have the most recent information to kind of go off of. So if you could just give me that just little blurb. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the Odell Beckham news. Uh, We're going to make a quick update on his status. I was reading an ESPN article uh, Wednesday afternoon, and it was highlighting where Jerry Jones stands on Odell Beckham at this point. Uh, he was asked by a couple of reporters about whether or not that the Dallas Cowboys were going to make a move on Odell. And he said he didn't really want to get into it, but he did say stand by just based on potentially making a decision. And there have been reports circulating that the Cowboys are going to make a decision sooner rather than later when it comes to potentially signing Odell Beckham or not. And when it comes to the Cowboys, just to kind of point this out, uh, they did sign a veteran wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton. Obviously, he's been best known for his tenure with the Indianapolis Colts, but they're going to kick the tires on T.Y. Hilton. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that at first, I think the Cowboys had some doubts when it came to Odell's availability. And there may have been some quotes in the past on the shop where maybe OBJ uh, may have, I guess, simmered uh, the potential interest in him with some of his comments on the shop. But nonetheless, it's Odell Beckham Jr. And there's always a potential for a team to go out there and sign him, especially if they're gearing up for a playoff run. So, Kev, I know we got a lot to talk to. We got a lot to talk about when it comes to this Odell news. But let me just ask you this straight up. In light of Jerry Jones essentially saying stand by on signing Odell or not, do you think that Odell is going to be signed by some sort of playoff team for the rest of the season? Or do you think it's more likely that he may sit out and may not sign until after the postseason's over with? I mean, just based off the information that we have in front of us, based off of what we've seen with the teams that were interested in the transactions that they've made as the season has closed, T.Y. Hilton again signs with the Cowboys, Cole Beasley comes out of retirement and comes to the comes back to the Bills. I mean, I don't necessarily know what I'm supposed to feel here. Odell Beckham was on the shop. You know, a show that LeBron James has on HBO Max or HBO, whatever the hell the company is. And, you know, they're talking to him about, you know, not to, not to ask your definitive decision or, you know, we're not trying to get an answer out of you. But, you know, do you have an answer in mind? And like, you know, what are your thoughts on playing for the rest of the season? And again, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically had stated, you know, like, you know, I could play for the, in the regular season, but for what? You know, like I started my career and I had such a bad playoff performance. The biggest thing I wanted to do when I went to L.A. was to break that narrative. And I did. And everybody saw what I could do in the playoffs. And he goes, that's when I shine brightest. That's what I want to do. I want to prove that that that, that hate wrong again. And how I interpreted that was I'm too good to play for the regular season. Whether you sign with the Cowboys, the Bills, the Giants, the the, the, the fucking the, the, the Texans. There are multiple people in that receiving room that are busting their ass just to be on this team and practice squad players that are competing every single day just to be noticed and kept. And you think that you are too good to play the regular season while teams are fighting for playoff berths. Like, I'm not saying that Dallas is going to lose a playoff berth, but they don't. Have, they, nobody's clinched other than the Eagles. If you go to the the Giants, you think you're just not gonna play, not gonna help them, and if they make it by the skin of their teeth, you're just gonna take reps away from receivers that have been giving it their all all year. Same goes for the Cowboys. Same goes for the Bills. Like, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about Odell in New York 
after the crazy catch against Dallas on Monday night. We're not talking about Odell when he got drafted out of LSU and the hype that he had with his capabilities, with his vertical leap, his ability to catch one-handed, I mean, his route running, you, you name it. We're talking about Odell after two ACL surgeries and a broken ankle surgery. We're talking about Odell coming off of his second injury to the same leg. We're talking about Odell Beckham, who is just not the same player that we all know. And if I'm a, a multi-billion dollar franchise that is looking to make an investment in a player to help my organization and team compete for a championship, but then he goes and makes public statements like that to basically look like he's too good to come back, I don't want to sign him. And I, again, I think the actions of these organizations in signing elsewhere goes to show that's exactly what they're, they plan on doing. I think Jerry is playing devil's advocate because we don't know what T.Y. is going to be able to provide over there. He hasn't played all year, and last year he was injury-ridden with the Colts. That's just his unfortunate M.O. as he got older. It's just that's, 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 that's what he's known for, which is just injuries. If T.Y. gets hurt in those four games or five games, whatever's left in the season, of course, I'm sitting here drawing a blank. We're going into week 15. There's got to be three games left, right, Kyle? Well, th- this would be – there would be four games going into this week, but after 15, this week. 15, 16, it, 17, 18? There'd be three games left after this week. Okay, so I'm just thinking, like, I, if T.Y. unfortunately would have kicked the tires, like, they, like, like Kyle said, and he gets hurt, then I see them going after Odell because they don't have an option. But – if T.Y. plays relatively well or just, you know, plays consistent, I don't see why they would sign another receiver, which is another mouth to feed, another ego to feed. And, of course, that's going to deal with the off-season, excuse me, the off-the-field drama. Well, how do you feel about what Jerry said? Now that you're a part of this organization, are you ready to play? Oh, well, we heard what you said on the shop. Are you going to give this team an opportunity? Blah, 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 blah. So Odell at this point to me should just can it, shut up, and work out for teams as he gets healthier, because apparently he's not technically even ready, apparent, uh, according to the Cowboys reports when they worked him out, I would just say Odell needs to sit back and shut up and just kind of just work out after the season. I really believe that he put his foot in his mouth and uh, he ruined his opportunity to compete again. And again, just because he sits out this season doesn't necessarily mean that teams are going to be immediately interested. He wants commitment. He wants money. He wants long-term after what you just said, I, I really don't know if I would if, if I'm a competing team in the NFL, I don't know if I want somebody like that in my locker room, honestly. I really don't. I think it kind of depends on the circumstances here. And the way that I see it is obviously I know Odell wants to get a long term deal settled. But maybe this is one of those scenarios where look, you may have to put that to the side for right now, and you may have to go out there and potentially prove it to a team that could sign you for a postseason run. And obviously right now, there's no guarantee that any team's going to sign him just for a playoff run. I think they definitely want to see what he could provide throughout the regular season. I mean, what's left of it. There's not that many games left. But nonetheless, if somebody's going to make an investment on him, they have to see what he's capable of going into the playoffs. Because I mean, if you were just to sign somebody off the street like Odell for a playoff run and you haven't seen what he could do, in the last couple of weeks of the season, man, you're taking a big gamble that could work against you, even if you are a high-end playoff caliber team. I mean, when it comes to Odell Beckham, look, Kev, like I can't deny this with Odell. I mean, Odell is still one of the most highly regarded receivers in the NFL, and I understand he's coming off of an ACL tear last year, but if you look at that Super Bowl game before he tore his ACL, he was pretty effective for the Rams, and there were multiple games last year where he stepped up pretty big 
for the Rams. I understand that they had Cooper Cup, probably the most productive receiver that we had in the NFL last season. But nonetheless, Odell found a very good role with the Rams, and he definitely made the most in that Sean McVay offense. But I think when it comes to this year specifically, we don't have a lot of time to work with here. And if teams are not 100% sold on the idea that you're available and healthy to basically hit the ground running with a couple weeks left to go, I think teams are going to be hesitant to sign you. That's why you see Dallas signing T.Y. Hilton instead of OBJ. You had Cole Beasley unretire, and he is going to play for the Buffalo Bills for the rest of the year. And those were two of the top teams that were going to potentially bring Odell into the fold. I know the Rams were thinking about potentially bringing him back, but it really wasn't worth it in their regard because, let's face it, the Rams have been an absolute disaster this year compared to winning the Super Bowl last year. And there's no reason to bring somebody like that into the fold if it's not really going to mean anything to set up for a potential postseason run. So, Kev, I mean, I fully understand where you're coming from with him basically shooting himself in the foot with the comments that he made on the shop. Yet, I still see a potential for somebody signing him, a team that could potentially make a playoff run. Because let's say, you know, God forbid, like the Bills, the Vikings, the Cowboys, like they they lose a big wide receiver in their wide receiving core. They could look to Odell as an insurance policy. Granted, it's a risk. But at that point, if all bets are off and you've got to fill that void somewhere, you may look outside and look for Odell services. And you may potentially look past some of the things that he said and maybe even some of his injury history. Because, look, I, I think right now, if I had to say, I think Odell is probably 75, maybe 80% of what he was last year before the ACL injury. And granted, you know, I know there was a lot of optimism a couple of weeks ago that Odell was going to be potentially on his way to be playing for the Dallas Cowboys. And Dallas just wasn't really sold on the fact that he was fully back from that injury yet. And we don't know whether or not that Odell is actually at that NFL conditioning speed where he can play a consistent amount of plays out there on the field, or I would say a significant amount of the plays to be more precise. So I think when it comes to Odell and whether or not that he's going to play this season, I think it's become becoming more likely than not. Um, He's just not going to play. And I think a lot of this just has to do with the fact that teams just aren't sold on the fact that he's fully back from the injury. And I don't think they're going to be comfortable with potentially signing somebody if they don't have the assurance from him that he's fully healthy and ready to rock and roll as soon as he signed on the dotted line with the contract. So, but just to kind of round this thing out, I'd say more likely he's probably not going to play for the rest of the year. And that probably includes a postseason run. However, I do not rule out the possibility if one of these teams going into the playoffs loses a receiver, they'll get on the phone, call Odell's agent saying, hey, we got a situation. We may need to look to him to bring him into the fold. I mean, at that point, Odell would have to put to the side about potentially doing this for a long-term deal. He'd have to go out there and earn it once again. But I think that's one of the only scenarios that I see him coming back on the field this year. It would basically be a backup option or an insurance policy if somebody were to go down for one of these teams that are going into the playoffs. It's the only way I see him coming back this year. I mean, I don't put it past that happening. I mean, we're talking about the end of the season. Injuries happen, as we've talked about a multitude of times. So uh, I won't rule it out either. But I mean, I just, again, I'm disappointed with Odell. It looked like he kind of came back down to reality in LA and he kind of like calmed down. The arrogance had faded away. He became humble. 
And then you go and you say what you said on not national television, but I mean, you said it publicly and you knew that that was going to be streamed all over the Internet. So, I mean, you basically said it nationally. It's again, for me personally, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I cannot imagine an NFL GM looking like, oh, you literally just said you were willing to do whatever it takes to, like, you know, get back on the field and, and you want this long term commitment but you won't play for us when we need you to solidify a playoff. You know what I'm saying? Like it just, it's not a good appearance. I, I want to make just one quick rebuttal to that. I, I think when it comes to the, the NFL GMs and really just the front offices as a whole that are potentially looking at Odell, I think they put probably more of an emphasis on the health of the player. Of course, of course. I mean, but I'm I mean, saying it I mean, doesn't like, help. It's contributing. I, I understand that. But when it comes to controlling what players are going to say, there's not much you're going to do about it if they're outside of the facility anyway, if they're not signed with a team. So you just can't. Yeah, but why would I sign you, though? When I know you're not going to give me the regular season, why would I sign you? Which is a, which is a fair thing to say. But that's I think what I'm saying. That, but I think that mostly has to do with the fact that they're not convinced that he's healthy yet. I think whatever he says is what it, it is. What it is. I think what it comes down to it is they're going to look at his health injury or his injuries and say, hey, you good to go? Because if you're not, we're not going to waste our time. You can say whatever you want. It doesn't really matter to us. But can you go out there and be ready to go because you're healthy? I think that's what it really comes down to. True. I don't think I don't think teams are looking at Odell because he said something on the shop and they think, oh, like this is this is potentially somebody that's going to go against our culture. Like this is somebody that could be a distraction in the locker room. I, I think we're kind of past that point with Odell. I think when it comes down to it in this specific instance, I think it just comes down to are you healthy? Or are you not? It's that simple. Whether or not they're going to sign him, so clear cut and concise. I yeah, agree. And, that, and that was and that was really what I think Jerry Jones was kind of outlining a couple of weeks ago because they were fully in on Odell, and then they brought him in, and they kind of came back a little bit more hesitant because Kev, I, I was in the mindset that they he was going to get signed by Dallas after Thanksgiving. I, we yeah. put out a, we, we put out a YouTube video about that where we even put in the title, he's going to be a cowboy after Thanksgiving didn't work out that way so but you know time will tell and kev you never know some wide receiver goes down nfl some wide receiver goes down i'm telling you odell's gonna be getting calls if that were to happen i'm just i think i agree no 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 if if an injury happens he will definitely get phone calls and he will get interest again because it's going to be out of desperation not because they want him but we'll 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 see how that kind of transpires but i mean overall that's going to wrap it up tonight um Mm -hmm. Again, we are recording a day early out of the flexibility of my partner. So, uh, you know, take our predictions with a grain of salt. Injury reports will not go final until Friday evening, if not Saturday. So we're making this off of what we have in front of us. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we're just doing what we can to provide content for you guys as consistently as we can. Growth has been exponential on every platform. So, again, thank you so much for Whatever it is that you guys are doing, liking videos, commenting, interacting with us on TikTok, Instagram, whatever, um, we are just eternally grateful for the success that we've had this year alone. I mean, it's just been absolutely incredible. And I'm not going to speak for Kyle here, but I'm just I'm blown away with how many people are just interested in what we have to say. Just two random guys talking shit about football, which is what we do no matter what every day. But um, I mean, I'm just having a great time and I'm just grateful to be on this platform. Yeah, honestly, we could probably rename the podcast just two schmucks in two apartments. Like literally, like that's what this has kind of become. But honestly, bro, we're 150 episodes in, and I know like we've been doing this as a conjoint podcast for almost two years at this point. But no, I mean, like Kev said, I mean the growth and the support has just been phenomenal for the last couple of months, and 
I just appreciate the fact that people are taking time out of their day to at least just give us a chance. Honestly, that's the only thing I could ever hope for. And the fact that people have been willing to give us a chance to at least just peruse the content that we have, uh, I'm just over the moon about that. And hopefully that continues support obviously continues for the rest of the year and going into 2023, but no, we got plenty. We got plenty of content for you guys to roll out over the next couple of days. So definitely stay tuned for that. 150 episodes, my guys. So almost halfway to 200. Well, actually we're more than halfway to 200, but only 50 more to go until 200. So we, we definitely locking and loading. So I know we the 2022, 2022 is coming to an end, but I, I think we're setting up for a pretty solid 2023. If you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. It's on to bigger and better things. I mean, it's we're just excited to what we see right now. It's only going to be better next year as content rolls, quality of life improvements. I mean, like Kyle and I are just grinding every single opportunity we have in front of these microphones, and we're just doing what we can to bring you guys information with our opinions tied into it. So, again, we're having fun with it. You guys are showing us love. So until that stops, we're going we're gonna to continue to do this thing. But, again, to kind of just round things out, Thank you guys for the support, again, no matter where that comes from. And uh, we will see you guys again uh, Sunday. I uh, can't believe it's already, literally, we're, we're talking about Christmas being next week. So we will see you guys again Sunday. Yes, sir. Take it easy, you guys. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Acid. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.